Blog Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers for every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. We're proud to say that we're translating to many different languages for our listeners outside the country. The call-in number tonight and also to listen is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal and the Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Rain and shine. Anyway, during the show, I can take questions in order in chat, and you may call in with your questions and speak with our guest tonight. Any buzzkillers in chat or on the phone will be kicked out. You know what's going to happen, so don't do it. Anyway... So be polite and play nice, and uh, it's going to be an awesome show tonight. And I have a few announcements. Now, this is what I want to tell you. I must tell you about Marilyn Salas' creation, Love's Blessing. I got my beautiful little kit today, and I've been using it all week. Oh, my God. It's, it's awesome. Love's Blessing is like, it's a meditation and healing mist, calming and relaxing. And let's see, it contains 26 essential oils, and the scent is kind of reminds me of a very light incense smell, and I I love it. And what it is that you spray it on over you to de-stress. I do it when I get out of the shower, and then I did my bed, and then I even actually took it to my office and made a blessing at the office. And and this is uh, what it is. It's beautiful, and there's a little jewel on the bottle, and it comes in a sun-resistant bottle. So the bottles are very beautiful, little blue pump bottles with. Uh, no ozone depleting, uh, uh, whatever they put in it. It's just a spray bottle with a little jewel on the front. It's really pretty. And you can order yours at www.lovesblessing.com or P.O. Box 1075, Ojai, California. You can also email Marilyn Salas. Uh, you know, she's, her husband is Robert Salas, uh, of, uh, the famous Robert Salas. So, Anyway, she's a lovely, beautiful person, and has, she has to be sure to use the best waters and oils and everything for this beautiful mist. And, okay, you can also email her at ohihealer at gmail.com. And I love the stuff, and be sure to get a bottle soon. I love it. So, anyway, uh, if you want to ask me more about it, you're welcome to ask me anytime. And then, okay, turn in to our friends, the Paranormal Angels, every Wednesday night. 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, and it's our wonderful friends Marsha Becker, Ed Becker's wife. And the phone-in number, I listen by phone from my office, and I just dial it in and listen, 718-664-6407 to call in and listen every Wednesday night. It's the Paranormal Angels Network. And also, for those of you that do go to CERO, C-E-R-O, support group, 
for abductees and aliens and all things like that, uh, the group is actually having a meeting this Sunday, the 25th, at the Burbank location. I can't tell you where it is, but the menu is wonderful and extensive, and I'm sure you got the email, so be there, be square. And also Yvonne Smith's new book, Coronado Haunting, is now available on Amazon and Create Space. And Yvonne is a licensed hypnotherapist if you should ever need one to do a regression therapy or anything else you need. And I want to let you know, next week our guest is Marty Rosenblatt, professional remote viewer and he teaches remote viewing and I'm totally crazy in love with that idea of remote viewing and I really want to learn how to do that. Okay, you know, I'm going to talk about this week's guest and she, she's on the line, she's waiting for us. Um, her name is Bastia Marlowe, the great-granddaughter of the famous voodoo queen Marie Catherine Laveau, if I'm pronouncing it right. Bastia Marlowe was born in and grew up in New Orleans and she came to L.A. under a different name, so she's uh, she's lived here amongst the living and the dead and spent her early adolescence immersed in rain and attended Catholic Church and roamed the city's haunted and flavored streets. She loved all things New Orleans and once stood in line five hours to include in the film adaptation of fellow New Orleanians and Rice's interview with a vampire. Oh, my God, I've read it 20 times. I've seen the movie 3,000 times. Anyway. After a stint in performing theater and writing, she moved to L.A. in 2001, and she's in her 20s to experience ghosts, but mainly exists among the walking. Uh, she mostly misses the Audubon Park and low-ranging trees. I've added some pictures of this, and it's on the, the trees lining St. Charles Avenue and uh, her home hall wall restaurants that you go to to hang out at. And my son was there, and he said he loved, loved, loved that area so much. Anyway, so she loves driving through City Park and the creaky floors of the old houses, the old cemeteries, and the rain. And we haven't had that much rain here in California, so I don't know how she feels about that. So what I'm going to do is get Bastia on here. Hello, you're live with the Paranormal and Sacred. Hi, Bastia. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. So how are you this evening? Oh, just great. It's a lovely evening, and it's nice and quiet, and for once, quiet is a good change, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So anyway, so uh, me, uh, okay, so this is kind of an extraordinary night tonight, because uh, you pronounce it Bastia, right, or Bastia? Yes, that's correct, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what happened was, is that I was over at the Gardena uh, VFW post, and uh, I was there with friends and support everybody, and of course, and I'm the vice president of whatever over there. But anyway, the women's auxiliary. Sorry, I shouldn't have said wherever. But uh, so there was this guy with this karaoke machine and his wife, and then there was a beautiful young lady over there, and they looked like they were having fun. So my friends wanted to leave, and I didn't want to leave yet. So I just walked over to the karaoke, and of course I elbowed my way in, and uh, I didn't know who uh, Bastia was yet, so uh, we were just uh, singing. This guy, uh, uh, he had no uh, blues, he didn't have any uh, Motown, uh, all he had was Journey Records, as far as I can remember. <laughs> But we found out we could sing rock, so we're singing to our heart's content, loud as we could, and uh, nobody really left, did they? No, I don't think so. No, we we sang a lot of Joan Jett and a uh, little, I think we sang some Aerosmith. <laughs> yeah, we did. 
<laughs> and then we were talking through the whole thing because we were cracking each other up because we didn't know we could sing rock, but we had to. We had to learn. That's all that guy had. So anyway, uh, so we're getting ready to leave. So the DJ asked me, what's your name? So I told him, you know, my name is Sean McCain. Uh, and you said the Charlene Simpson McCain. So it was my first uh, formal uh, out there in society recognizing. So we were friends already on Facebook, right? That's right. I think for about happen? a year now. <laughs> I know I for about know. a year. I don't, I, even, I don't remember how it started. So, uh, so we actually didn't even know each other. It was so random, and I got my first public acknowledgement for being on the show. And it turns out that you know that you're a legend of your own. So it was really, really great meeting you, and uh, you're a real sweetheart. I don't remember how we met on on Facebook initially. I don't know how that. So that's how random that was. Synchronicity. What do you think about that? You know, there's that movie called Serendipity, and I just, you know, based pretty much everything on that. I, you know, I don't normally believe in coincidences, but you know, I think that there everything happens for a reason, even if you don't know what that reason is just yet. Really true, and uh, it's uh, it was just that feeling too that I like you very much. Uh, you're an awesome person, and uh, it was just a very uh, strange thing. And you kept trying to sing that song from uh, uh, "Let It Go." <laughs> you were trying to sing "Let It Go." <laughs> Like you leave it, but you never really leave it. 
Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's so beautiful there. I was looking at the pictures of, of the streets you were naming and the area that you were saying you, you were raised in. And it is so beautiful and it has so much character and history there. It's uh, it's just quite amazing, you know. And uh, uh, you were so you're so you're okay. Tell us, tell us your lineage. So your mother. Okay, so I'm the great great granddaughter of Marie Laveau, and um, it's on my dad's side of the family, and sure. so it would go back to. Well, I'd better do this the other way, not the backwards way. Um, okay. Okay, there was Marie, and then there was her daughter. Then she had a son. He had a son who then had me. <laughs> I get it. So, yeah, and if I tried to do that backwards, it would have come out of – it might have been a little bit skewy. So it's um, – you don't really realize that – how close your ancestors really are to you when you look at it like, oh, yeah, that was my grandmother from way back then. Or if you start talking years, you think that the years are so far away. But really, when you look at it, the it's only, what, 100, 200? That's not that very many years, especially considering yeah. how long, you know, I mean, other things, you know, like there's what that movie Ten Thousand BC. Okay, that was long ago. <laughs> but but yeah, someone you like your grandmother. Movie? Oh, I can't believe I actually watched it. But yeah, I remember. That movie. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that movie. I just can't believe you watched that movie. <laughs> well, I think it was around the time that Apoc- Apocalypto, the Mel Gibson film, came out. And yeah. there was a, a bunch of movies that came out like that, and I just thought, I'd, well, I'll look at that one, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that was a good movie, though. Apocalypto. Oh, yeah. Excellent ending. I watched it over and over and over. Well, you know, and I wonder if I could actually think about it and kind of connect that. See, that's how I feel about New Orleans. You go there, and it's like, okay, no, 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 same old stuff. And then all of a sudden, something happens that, oh, my God, it's new again. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's was, like that. I, You know, I haven't been there. I've been through Louisiana, but I went above, you know, because we're, we're going through there. But my son, uh, my son has been there. And actually, my uncle went through there during the Depression, and he had a, a strange uh, spiritual experience out there. Oh, wow. I mean, a really weird experience. He he said he was walking down the street. He had hitchhiked. He was hitchhiking across the United States. And uh-huh. uh, everybody was in the, it was in the Depression, so many people in poverty that time. And my grandfather was down here from Nova Scotia, and that's where they come from. And... Uh-huh. Uh, he, uh, they were, uh, you know, living in Massachusetts. Anyway, my uncle decided to take off, and uh, it was World War Two. Uh, he was he, he met a lot of people because if you're hitchhiking, you know, people back then used to actually they would they would rob each other and stuff like that because there was a lot of weird things going on in the back back roads. And I never heard about mm-hmm. it until I heard it from him, and so it was really interesting. But anyway, he was down there in the French Quarter and. Uh, he said he's in the middle of the night, and he had to do something. So he's out there in the back road hitchhiking again. 
and he was coming towards a, another town. This was what he said. And he said, all of a sudden, everything turned pitch black. He said it was so black, he had to drop everything, and he became disoriented. He didn't know up from down, so he laid on the ground on his stomach because he felt like he was going to fall off the side of the planet. He said it was that pitch. And then he, wow. said, he, was clinging to, he said he was clinging to the ground, and this weird guy in this car pulled out. He said, he said I saw the headlights at a distance, and so... At least he had something to look at, you know, while he was in that pitch black. And he said this car was rolling up, and he said this guy opened the door to, from his driver's seat, just leached over, opened the door, and let him in the car. But he never said a word, never looked at my uncle or anything like that, and uh, closed the door. Next thing he remembers that he was at a coffee shop drinking, in the middle of drinking a cup of coffee. So that was weird. Doesn't that remind you of wow. like a men in black kind of thing or something like that? But that's what happened yeah. in New Orleans. But he had an epiphany because of that. He went back uh back home to Massachusetts and uh he met my aunt and uh they got married after that. He realized he wanted to settle down and find a true love because of all that. Wow. Yeah. But it's weird and then to me it's normal. <laughs> yeah. I could actually, you know, I could completely see that happening cuz you never know. Okay, all right. I remember I was waiting for the and mm-hmm. it was on St. Charles. And I'm waiting for the streetcar and there isn't a bench there, but you know, you're just standing there waiting and you're like, "Okay, la la la, streetcar coming." And Someone comes up, and they're just standing there, and they're like, oh, how long have you been waiting? And I'm like, oh, not too long so far, just about 10 minutes maybe. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll just wait here too. I'm like, I'm sure Wells come. And then we started talking about something. You know, I told him, you know, I went to school over there in Loyola and, you know, what was going on and, you know, how I like to go across the street to the park at Audubon. And, you know, I like to do shopping right down the street um, by Riverbend. And, you know, we got into, a you know, a, a conversation. So right. about 20 minutes passed, and I'm looking up, and I'm like, oh, look, the streetcar's coming. So we start, you know, we keep talking about maybe about, well, I don't know, what, like 15 minutes more, because you could see the streetcar coming from, you know, down the road. And we're talking for 15 or so more minutes, and then the streetcar finally comes. And I get on first, and I turn around, you know, trying not to let the door close on the person, and they're not there. So, and like nowhere to be found. So I'm like, okay, well, let me just, you know, maybe, you know, they're tying their shoe or they decided to like walk across the street. And because I remember what they were wearing. And when I looked and I got on the uh, streetcar, I looked, I'm like, okay, well, there's no one around wearing those clothes. So I'm like, oh, okay. I was just talking to another one. And by another one, I mean one of the. Uh, well, yeah, the, they the hang around and yes, they hang well, around and they just make conversation and it's it's very 
sometimes it's very strange because you never know exactly, you know, what they what they exactly want. Someone actually made contact with me, and I'll never forget this. I was working on, oh, God, which street was that? What was that? Oh, Poydras. I was working on Poydras Street in a building, and we worked, like, late night. So it was, like, from what, like, I think I got off at, like, 12 o'clock, but I would work from, like, 4 p.m. until, like, 12, sometimes 1 o'clock. And it's like really, really quiet in the building, and the only other person on my floor was in the room with me, so it would just be he and I, and we'd like watch a little TV, play on the computer, but you know we had to be there because it was a call center. Well, I had to go to the bathroom, and the bathroom was down the hall. One night, I'm walking to the bathroom, and a woman just suddenly appears coming, like, uh, walking opposite of me. So she was facing me, and she was wearing a, like, uh, I guess you'd say dark tan chinos, like chino slacks with a uh, tan work blouse and a string of pearls and I remember her pearl earrings especially and she had maybe like a oh gosh uh, like a short hairdo with little bangs and she was blonde and she walked by me and she she kept looking at me very intently and when I went to the restroom she followed me in the restroom and I washed my hands. I, you know, like looked in the mirror and stuff. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw, saw myself. But then I actually saw who she was trying to contact. And it happened to have been a classmate of mine at the college I was going to. So wow. a couple of days passed, and I asked this friend. I said, Victoria, I remember you telling me your, you know, your mom had passed away. And she said, yeah, yeah, she passed away years ago. It was cancer. I'm like, okay. I said, I remember that. But did she ever wear pearl earrings and a pearl necklace? Did she have a tan work blouse? And she said, yeah. I said, oh, okay. I, I rem- And some people, you're not sure exactly how to say, well, I saw your mom. I decided in that particular moment it would have just been better to say, oh, yeah, I do remember you showing me that photo. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, and it's really, it's. I think the weirdest part of that was, okay, so what did she want to really tell her? Because that I never knew. Maybe just to and, make contact. Yeah, just to make contact. Like I'm here. See how she's doing. Yeah, like I'm here. I'm looking out for you. It's it's. I think the best way to describe it is just as intricate and layered actual people who are living are, it's the same thing with 
the dead. Some of them hold on. (laughs) They hold on to something or someone, for that matter. Or some of them, I have seen that they don't even know that they passed over. Yeah. When did you start like first uh, start noticing that you could see the dead? The the I know they look like they're alive and you're really talking to them. Because to me, that's what the ghosts that I've seen. I've never thought, oh gee, you're a ghost. You know, they they look like people, or they act like, or you can hear them. They sound like they just walked in the door and they slammed the door and they kept walking. I've heard that over and over. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like they're continuing to do something, I and mean, they they're still human. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. And some of, can some of them can materialize, some of them can't. The first time I think I remember seeing one um, was shortly after I had seen a huge, and when I mean huge, now mind you, I'm what, like seven, six or seven years old. So something that's bigger than me is going to be huge. Um, I saw a huge tarantula just outside. Oh, my God. And the body, I'm not counting the legs, the body was as huge as my head. Oh, my God. And so then add add the legs. After I saw that, and it looked like it was following me or looking at me, Or, you know what I mean? And after that, after that moment, that's when I started. And and even weirder is that there's a saying, and I'm not exactly sure how far back this saying goes, but there are a couple of cultures who believe that the presence of spiders signify the presence of a witch. Really, which is, which kind of makes sense how the the um, the cliched uh, haunted house always has the webs, always has mm-hmm. the you know the creepy stuff in it. But it's like it's not just because it hasn't been lived in; it's because those things are present. Well, you know, the spider, you know, is a weaver. So in the Native American culture, the, the spider is actually weaving like the universe. That they're the ones that weave all the stars and the sky and things like that. And, mm. and it's actually created a net that that everybody would... This is a legend. I'm telling you, it's thousands of years old. The legend was that this spider is weaving uh, communication and... Uh, it's weaving this out in the universe, and that's how you know everything's held together, and the stars and everything else. And this is like a the this is where we get the term like internet, weirdly enough, because mm-hmm. a spider in legendary time has woven a communication device out in the stars. Bizarre but true. So this turned out to be like true, but mm. um, yeah, I've had dreams of spiders too. So I was wondering if you ever had. I have people that have, I'm not going to mention any names, but people that I've known that have a sort of spider uh, terror because of visitations, like during their dreams and at their house. So do you believe this was really a spider, or do you believe that 
um, it was like more like imagery or something. I have never been able to decipher that because I know okay. both are possible. Yes, true. There are very old spirits that live on through animals because animals are so pure. They are without uh, malice. If, you know, if they fight, they fight over things that they need, not things that they want or out of, oh, God, I can't stand you kind of thing. You know, if I need my territory, I'm going to fight for it. But... I have never been able to decipher that, and I it's 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 strange that you say that because I actually do have a uh, a high level of arachnophobia. Yeah, I think a lot of people. That's why that's why I'm gently talking about it because I know a lot of friends that actually do, and uh, I did have I do have had throughout my lifetime reoccurring spider dreams. And I think it has to do with a lot of my other strange experiences. But uh, mm. but when I was a kid, I wasn't scared of spiders at all. It's, and even tarantulas. And until I was in Arizona visiting my dad, and I was going outside and I'm visiting this little furry thing every day. It was so big it was the size of my hand. And I was little, though. I must have been around 11, 10 or 11. So I'd go visit mm-hmm. it. It would come out every day to meet me, and I would feed it cheese, and it would eat the cheese and leave. I could never figure out how it was doing it, but okay, so I was petting it. Then my dad caught me with it one day, and it was a big tarantula. I had no fear before that. You know, I had none. And I, I really, it was actually a friend of mine because it would actually let me bury it, and it would uncover, run towards me, and then we'd run around. I mean, it was really bizarre. I had friend, a friend, a tarantula for a friend. Poor kid. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> My dad got it, and he killed it with the shovel. I remember my dad was terrified, so he instilled that in me. So flash forward to I was in a program of being where I'm at right now for eight years, but before that I was in an intensive outpatient for women. But anyway, I was a counselor there. So uh, they they have those zoos come in for the kids, you know the and that um, you know we had the mothers bring all their children and we had these petting zoos and everything else. But one time they brought a reptile and tarantula thing in, and I remember looking mm. at this tarantula and I was thinking, okay, now I wasn't born scared of you. I had to really do a lot of self talk, you know, but I wanted to overcome this fear because I wanted to, it wasn't my fear; it's my family's fear, not me. So I actually put my hand out, I said, give me the tarantulas. And the little tarantula got in my hands. It was, well, they're not little, they're big. And I knew right away it was a little girl, and it was, she was from like a prairie kind of existence, you know. Mm. And she was like open-minded and kind. And I said, is this a little girl? And she says, yes. How did you know? I said, I feel that. I said, you know, and I said, well, she isn't a, it isn't an insect. You know, it felt like more like a puppy feeling. Mm-hmm. Said, yeah, that's why they call them this one little section of uh, animals. They're on their they're on their own because there's nothing like them. Because they're not insects. They don't think like insects. Isn't that odd? Mm-hmm. So you have I think that's what makes them amazing, though. <laughs> they're amazing because of it, because they think. So what you were picking up as a little child was correct. I'm not sure. 
I've ever seen anything that big except now they're coming out with pictures and they do have big big freaking tarantulas out there. Oh yeah. I don't want to I don't want to bring a spider spirit anywhere though. So how are we going to get rid of it? I I know. I'm going to spray some of this lemon blessing. <laughs> anyway, I love this this love blessing. And it is a meditation and healing. You know who uh, who Ra, uh, Captain Robert Solis is? You no, know tell the, me, tell me. Uh, you know the okay. So who he is? We're not going to get off track, but he he's the one who uh, was in the Montana missile range, and when the UFOs came, he shut off all the nukes. It's a very famous story. You might be a little young to remember it, but anyway, this is his wife, and uh, she made this beautiful thing, and uh, she. Uh, is was part of the, you know, the uh, she's native, part Native American, so she has these uh, this non-toxic whatever uh, blessing and um, healing oil thing. So I'm going to do that. At the end of the show, we'll do a little blessing. I think we're getting rid of the spirit as we speak. There you go. See? It's already leaving. Well, anyway, um, so you're, what, you're one of your favorite authors, including mine, is Anne Rice. So yeah. now the whole thing about Anne Rice is that her books take place there, where you grew up. Yes, they do. And um, one of her first houses, the one um, that's listed in, oh gosh, it's in the Witching Hour um, with the Mayfair witches. It's um, the house on First Street. She actually lived there. Uh, before she moved to the huge, huge house on uh, off of oh gosh, what was that Napoleon? And she had um, described her entire house in this book, and I'm like, oh okay, well okay, you wouldn't know every nook and cranny because you know you lived there. But it's she said that she wrote about that house because she always felt that there was something there and that there was some story with um, some family that lived there and, well, the majority of them died there. And I've always wondered, it just made me wonder, okay, well, who died in my house? Who died in my house? (laughs) Well, does your family have a a house there that where you grew up that was there for a long time? Um, yes, but we moved out of that one into a new house. So the old house would have been, um, that would have been torn down, which is bad. But the other house, I would assume, since we were the first ones in that one, then that wouldn't have much, um, lived in experience. However, the grounds are a different matter. So if anyone remembers that uh, movie Poltergeist, the whole problem with that community was that the houses were built on Native American grounds that hadn't been um, sanctified. So it could be the same thing in many, many places around there, especially considering that uh, all spattered throughout the city there are several, several cemeteries, and not including the ones who are unmarked. 
That's true. I mean, it's just true. The the layers and layers of history, you you never know what it's what's sitting on. You know, Where especially. Uh, do you feel uh, okay? The whole place because uh, what I uh, have uh, seen pictures of and and what my son, my son has said about it. He said that it was it's awesome. Of course, the food and the music and everything uh, right there. He said, but when he, uh, um, I don't know if you want to get into this yet, but when he left just the immediate vicinity, and he said all of this, he was there like last year or the year before, he said all of it still devastated out there since Katrina. Yes, it is actually. And a lot of, um, one of my friends, um, she actually just moved back to her mom for a little while, but she was still there. And she said, man, there's still a lot that's just not taken care of, that's just dilapidated, that's just, uh, it's just, you know, it's not the same. And even when people, you know, like rebuild, it's just, it has this kind of um, painted over feeling where the original spirit of the place is just dying to get out. So it's kind of like a, a washed version. And it's just, you know, it's just not the same. But then again, it's it's amazing because people still try to have the culture there thrive. But it's kind of like if you were to be asked to go to a U2 concert or a U2-like yeah. concert, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I want to see the cover band if I could see the real band. So. <laughs> well, I know. And this, uh, what he said is that he felt uh, hurt by it. You know, um, and uh, my son and I are a lot alike. He lives in New York, and he's an actor, too. So uh, I know you two would get along. And he uh, he said that he felt hurt by it because of the neglect and stuff like that. He just wasn't expecting it. Uh, and that's after, you know, that's not right after either when our, everything was still uh, horribly messed up, you know. That was, uh, mm. I'm I'm trying to be polite here, but, you know, I was really mad in the hell about the whole thing. The biggest donation I ever gave in my whole life was to the cause for uh, Katrina. I went through T.D. Jakes, and he was coming, uh, the pastor, people don't know who he is. He's a pastor of a... He's a fantastic guy. I don't know if you know or heard his preaching. Mm-hmm. He's great. Anyway, so I went did it through that church, and uh, they went down there, and uh, I was really mad. I was mad at the slow reaction, and, uh, you know, for, I don't know if uh, any of my listeners don't know what happened with Katrina, but um, this happened, I'm trying to think, what year was this? Do you remember the year? Yeah, it was uh, two, 2005. Yeah, it was 2005, and it was in, I remember it was in August, and, uh, you know, they they only had like a day, I guess, a day warning when they said they had a first ever mandatory evacuation, and, uh, oh, jeez, and they had everybody move to the Superdome, which was a mistake, and uh, I guess 10,000 people actually were like stuck out there in the Superdome, and then one thing after another, it was just a whole total letdown of the city. Were you there when this happened, or? 
No, I was actually here because um, I moved okay. out here in 2001. I was here and my brother was here, but um, my parents were still there. So I I kind of lived it. I know it would have been worse if I would have been there, but, you know, having to deal with it through them was still um, uh, gut-wrenching and it was extremely nerve-wracking. I remember um, not sleeping for three weeks straight because, you know, you – haven't heard from, you know, your family, and you don't know what's going on because, hey, you can't really call anybody. Right. They can't email you. you. They can't text you. There was no service. I mean, nothing. And it was like a slow reaction. Um, I don't know if people realize who was our president at the time, but I was madder than hell, the slow reaction. Because it's not like, you know, we can get anywhere in a day. Really, you know what I mean? If you want to get in the jet, the president could get over there and, and keep an eye on what's going on, but he appeared to be unaware of what was going on or slow or something. I think it took three days, three days for somebody to get out there that I remember. Wow. I mean, I know he went, and from what I understand, he was in the uh, the helicopter, you know, the um military yeah. helicopter and he flew over and then flew right back to wherever he was and I'm like okay I'm like wow. do, do, do you want to like help set things up I mean you know it's, it seemed like it took mm-hmm. a while for even FEMA to get out there and you know yeah, exactly. a lot of that a lot of these people could have been like um, I hate to say the word shuffled but um yeah. They could have been moved properly. Um, yeah. Had there been some kind of arrangement, and you know what? Sometimes it's like I don't care if the red carpet isn't like rolled out. It's like even if it's a you know a half-assed you know effort. The point is you're making an effort. And, you know, you're trying to help these people because I don't think anything would have been like 100% perfect at that time because things had gotten so bad. Yeah. Not to mention all the people that were left behind. Oh, yeah. That was, oh, gosh, it's just something that I'll never forget. I think it was the first time that I realized I can't depend on my government. I think that's the first time I ever felt like, you know what, we can't depend on them sad to say, you know, but I, you know, I praise the people that did get themselves in there because a lot of people took up the cause, and uh, I guess 2,000 people were killed, and uh, it affected like 90,000 square miles of the United States, and then everybody scattered all over the United States. Remember, people are living in, in Texas. Yeah, now, there are a lot of people living Texas. in Houston. Yeah. It was just just so odd and you know it's, it reminds me of like 911 the same thing it's like what were you doing during this time and how did it change your life well it changed my life you know and I think it, it just made you realize that we're all vulnerable and uh, and, and you really have to get prepared. I don't know how you're going to prepare for something like that though that's that's another thing how are you going to prepare oh, yeah. for well I think the best thing you could ever prepare for or the best way you could ever prepare for it is to know that you know what you are impermanent the best you could do is the best you can do and that's it 
You're right. You're right. You know, really, in first, you have to be independent and you got to think. You know what I mean? Just think straight. And what I was watching was, do you remember uh, that whole shop of hairdressers? They got got a shopping cart and they actually got on the freeway and they just left. They just started walking away. I'll never forget that group. I said, leave it up to the hair. I'm a a hairdresser. But anyway, I, I was working. You know, the hairdresser. But anyway, uh, what I'm saying is the hairdressers left, which you should have done. Just get on the freeway, get a shopping cart, and go. And I remember there was about eight of them. I don't know if you remember that. But the, No, I don't remember that. I remember... They, they were trying uh, to force them to stay, but they got up and they took off. Because I saw the uh, Brian Williams report that was on the news. I think it was NBC. And, oh, my gosh, I mean, he was showing so much footage that it's, like, you know, hard to, like, concentrate on just one image. And, yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. my God, I don't think I'd be able to do that. Or I don't think how how I would be able to, like, live through that. And, well, sure enough, people did. But, you know, it's it's – I think those images were more devastating than knowing that there was, you know, there was a severe flood. Yeah. Well, plus the people were stranded, and then the animals were stranded. It was just like a pitiful thing, people sitting on their roofs and, you know, the animals that were just waiting for somebody to come and get them. Because, you know, people didn't, some people did did bring their animals with them, but mostly they were still staying on the porch waiting in the flood. You know, everybody was so vulnerable, you know, it's just uh, really something, you know. And I think that when things, go ahead. Oh, you know, they were actually telling people, you know, you can't take your animal. You can't take your pet. So, so I'm sure people who would have wanted to take their pet, they were telling them, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's like leaving your nephew like or your... your... I know. So horrible. Well, yeah, I know. Oh. Oh, I don't think we've really healed from that. I have, you know, I haven't, and I, I didn't know anybody that was in it, but to me, they're they're my people, you know, and people are my people, you know, and their suffering is my suffering, you know, I've always felt that way about everything, and I, I don't think we are, I think uh, people that are, uh, especially those that are sensitive or psychic or something like that, I think they're still hurt by it, I'm hurt by it, I'm hurt by 911, I'm not over that. I don't know how those their families are just well, hanging in there. Your, I mean, you know. What happened to your parents? What happened with them? Oh, they uh, they had to, they left and came. And I can't even remember how long they were there until they left because, you know, once again, no communication. Um, somehow they got to, I think they went the opposite way. They went eastbound. And they went that way. And then all of a sudden, then they came out here to L.A. And I was like, oh, my God. So it was, it, uh, I just couldn't imagine. Oh, gosh. It's just you know, strange. You don't, that, you, uh, don't, you don't have your, 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 what do you call that? You don't have all your important papers with you, so people don't even think you exist. And, you know... Some people, they didn't even have their wallets or their, you know, their IDs with them. So they weren't like real people to them. And 
So it's like, how are you going to get a, a hotel or a motel if you actually get to a place where you can, since everything, you know, everybody was pretty much going the same ways. So it's right. like places were just rented out. Like, I'm, it's, I, like I said, it's it's just so astonishing. It happened so many years ago, but I still couldn't, I don't think I'd be able to. I don't think I would have been able to uh, go through that. No. And did they go back? Um, back and yeah, we go back and forth. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, then mostly. Uh, well, that's good to hear. You know, it's um, I guess once uh, I know my son when he moved to New York, I was worried about uh because of the whole thing of the nine one one and this and that, you know, but. He's kind of fearless because he does write a lot for the stage, so he wants to be near Broadway, and um, that's the way that went. So anyway, so our heart goes out to everybody. We just have to keep everybody in our prayers, and um, mm-hmm. they're suffering still to this day over these kind of things, you know, because they're a disaster uh, of such proportions. It's, you know, it's mind-boggling, really. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. But, you know, it's if you can make it through a moment, you know, you just have to make it through the next and then the next and then the next. And that's, I guess that's what living is. Right. No matter what happens, just just keep going, you know, and that's uh, really uh, important for us. And it's really, uh, you know, kind of incredible. So, now, uh, let's go back to your upbringing. So uh, you were raised Catholic because what I understand about uh, like voodoo is that it's across the two. Tell me, tell me, you tell me what it is. Okay. Um, well, voodoo is like a channeling, but it is a channeling of an actual spirit. Some people think, oh, no, it's just another word to say witchcraft. But witchcraft, you channel elements and you channel, you know, you channel demons and you channel things like that. But mm-hmm. with voodoo, you channel a particular spirit. And it's supposed to be said that um, that Africans actually believe that each person is born with their own personal spirit that's separate from them. And that spirit is called Lua. And when you are born, you get, it's kind of like your own bodyguard. So we all have our own secret service. And, well, well, no one actually guarantees that. Because, <laughs> because you never know when it's going to turn on you. Well, well, this is true because it is an actual separate spirit. It has its own mind, it has its own wants, and it has its own needs. Now, here's the thing. This is where it comes in where the person who actually accepts their Lua will either live with it for the rest of their lives and, you know, they will commune with it or it will haunt them for the rest of their lives. 
um, some people, and I guess you would say, you know, my grandmother, you know, she communed. She not only communed, but she also learned to, uh, I don't want to say control, um, negotiate. (laughs) Okay. She learned to negotiate. Sometimes you have this, sometimes I have this. So that way she was able to channel that spirit a whole lot better than if someone else were to. Now, I'm not exactly sure about this, but I have heard the, um, I have heard actually several stories, but two of them are the most prominent. One, in regards to her daughter, Marie, too, one that is her actual physical daughter. Her daughter was even more powerful than she was, mainly because through her mother, she learned to negotiate better, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. The other story was that there was so much or so well of a negotiation between Marie One and her spirit was that there was a conglomeration emerging came Marie Two, so that Marie One was Marie Two, if that makes any sense. Wow, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, okay, I've heard, like I said, I've heard many, many, many different tales about it. And, and, and you know what? There's lore, and then there's lore. But the lore that I've heard that kind of like, oh, yeah, well, no, I don't really believe that. But it's actually entertaining. <laughs> but then the lore of it is, you know what? You never really can know what actually happened unless you were, like, physically right there. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, fly on the wall, fly on the wall, fly on the wall. Yeah. And I'm, like, wondering, okay, so what happened? Is it true? Is it true? Is it not true? And every time I think, okay, well, I've just proven myself that one story is truer than the other. Nah. Then something, I read something or think of something, and it just, cancels out the other and you keep going back and forth and I just I guess resolve myself to say okay well maybe I'll never know regardless well mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> I just never thought of this concept that that she she you know they may have been the same person that she yeah. has a younger version now, I've seen this somewhere in some movie of somebody taking, like, the spirit of a younger person that's taking their body over so they can keep living. Do you think uh, she could have done that? or To be honest with you? Yeah. I would. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, I mean, think about it. You know, in those days, people have people in those days. They had children, and by I mean they had children. They had a string of children. 
So you get to look at your entire litter, and I'm not meaning that in a demeaning way, but you look at your entire group and you're like, huh, okay, this one's more like me, that one's less like me. This one's got. She had, yes. She had 11 children. That's a lot of people to choose from, eh? And you know already that they're that they're of good stock because they're they are of you. The problem is right. who is the most like you and most powerful of you? Because I I don't think Marie too was her first child either. But I'm uh, I understand yeah. uh, I understand that it is more likely for a spirit like a Lua to pass through female to female as opposed to male. Um, And I think that this actually popped in my head and it made more sense when I actually read um, the Anne Rice's Witching Hour. I started to read it because I remember one of the Mayfairs, one of the powerful Mayfairs was the, uh, oh gosh, was the male child. um, And I think, oh gosh, that character's name was Julian. And he was one of the powerful ones. And I'm thinking, oh, you know what? If that's true... Because you always have to think about properties of a certain spirit or properties of this type of uh, craft or this or this kind of allure and the culture that surrounds it. Well, it surprises me that after Marie, too, two boys. So that's a large gap, like generational gap. Right. But it doesn't surprise me considering that if she had chosen correctly, if she had chosen correctly in Marie 2, that could possibly happen. Because spirits can be strong enough to jump generations. Well, there's definitely... Um, I never uh, knew if I believed in reincarnation until I heard this woman speaking uh, one time, and uh, her name's Flaherty, and she was speaking about how uh, we kind of pay for the past, our ancestors, and it goes back. To yeah, we do. I was thinking, okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't believe it because I didn't know how we could. And she explained it. We're talking on the quantum level in genetics. Like, we're passing mm-hmm. this back along. And I was like, as soon as she said it, this is the first time I believed I went, you know what, you're right. Because we are the mm-hmm. product of the people that we come from all the way back to the beginning. You know, we're the current living product of all of them. You know, mm-hmm. so this could be passed along uh, certainly a genetic level, but there's also mm-hmm. like this quantum thing going around, like what our ancestors do. Uh, we're we kind of get doomed to do, and uh, she uh, her work is helping people actually overcome the past. Let's say if there's a curse that's being passed down, of overcoming it. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I actually believed it for the first time. And that's pretty recently. I think this was like last year. But before mm-hmm. that, I guess gave it the benefit of the doubt. You know, because people had asked me, do you believe in reincarnation? I said, well, how do I prove it? Like, how do I, you know, how can I can think or imagine? But now I know for sure, yeah, that, that does sound true to me. Now, how you can heal you know, that genetic line, I don't know. But you said that. I don't. I don't know if there's, like, actual people who they either don't believe or they do believe in the reincarnation. I'm not exactly sure if with the people who do believe it, are they just that much more open or have they actually experienced it themselves? Because, I mean, I always thought of myself as an open person and, but, I truly did not consider the possibility within, you know, my closest realm. Right. Like, okay, I heard of Hindus and Buddhist beliefs in, in uh, reincarnation. And I said, okay, well, that's okay for them, and I'm okay, I'm okay with that. But I had not, I guess, fully... Uh, surrendered myself to understanding that until it came to me that I realized that, oh, God, I I know you already. In fact, I've known you already. I know what you're going to say next, and I know what you're going to do next, and I know that, you know, I also know that you don't know about this because you've never known in your other lifetimes with me. I think it's true, and I think that if you even uh, think of what happened in your family, it's quite extraordinary. It's legendary. You know, at this point, you know, it's a full-on legend, and it's legendary. And uh, uh, the more we find out, the more, to me, exquisite it is. It's like it's dramatic, you know, because we're now, uh, my mother is still alive, so we're now five generations alive. My mother's here, oh, and then wow. I have a great grandson. So that that whole thing that's running through the gamut of I just found out some things about my uh, great grandson uh, that uh, he's very musically inclined, and this and this and that, and then um, uh, that is also the way his father is, my grandson. You know what I mean? Very, and then it runs back to the whole family. Even my mother plays guitar. All of us either sing or play an instrument or do something, all of us. I even had aunts that would professionally travel on these cruise ships. And um, uh, What was the name that? Was that Ted Mac Amateur Hour or something? You know, they used to have that on TV, you know. That. My aunts would mm-hmm. go sing with them. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it runs in the family, and it's true, even down to the fifth generation. Mm. So uh, it's quite extraordinary that there's uh, that many of us right now above ground. Now, as far as sanity is concerned, we're not all there, but we're here. (laughs) So, uh, meaning we're not all talking to each other, but there is five generations of us, but we've certainly succeeded. And it's very strange, you know, that I'm still alive to see it. I, I think it's beautiful, though. Yeah, it's, and it's very rare. It is rare. It is rare. Um, but my mother is trying not to, because my mom's only 79. 
so she's not she's trying not to know that she has a great great grandson. So you know. <laughs> yeah, she's trying not to solidify that. She doesn't she really doesn't want to know about it, so she never asks, you know, she doesn't that's what I'm saying. It's just to me it's this beautiful thing, you know, so anyway, so uh, you know, I did not put together what happened to your uh, ancestor, if you're going by the father's side. So it would be uh, Marie Laveau, number one, mm-hmm. married mm-hmm. a man named uh, Jacques Paris. Now, and that was her first husband. Yeah, that was her first husband. Now, this she had no children with him. Now. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay, so let's go through that. So he... Now, you know American Horror Story that's going on right now? Do you watch any of that? You know, I wanted to watch that, and I should. You've got to. It's on on right now. You're playing it. I think they're playing on Netflix or Hulu or something like that, but I've been watching it. So Angela Bassett is playing your great-great-grandmother. Oh, wow. And she is extraordinarily beautiful, of course. I like like her, yeah. As well as you, but I love her. So she's playing. She's playing that part. So what happened was, which I didn't understand, they're they're kind of you know, not it's not sticking right straight to the straight story. But oddly mm-hmm. enough, so that first grandfather that no kids came from him, but he was actually in that torture chamber of Delphine Lalaurie. Now they mm-hmm. have a lot of of her being played by um, Kathy Baker. No, Kathy, mm. you know the actress. Oscar winner. Yeah. Uh, Bakers, right? yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Is so that Kathy? She, no. No. I don't know. Oh, no. Anyway. Uh, I know her name, and I can't. Kathy Bates. Kathy I, Bates. Kathy Bates. I knew it was a B. Okay, so Kathy Bates is playing Delphine LaLaurie. So she got a hold of her first husband and was torturing him. Now I didn't know that there was a real connection there, but she not only she only did that; she did a lot of terrible things to a lot of, a lot of you know many many people, you know. But I didn't know that was real until I was doing a little research, and they have it in American Horror Story. But you've got to get mm-hmm. the one now because it's showing her and all the. But it's you know it's all dramatized. But you know, I love mm-hmm. Angela Bassett. Anyway, so then. No, I promise I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Okay, you better watch it because it's too good to pass up. And I got My mad, friend has been telling got, me to watch it. So. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you to watch your own. Can you watch the story about your own great-great-grandmother, please? But <laughs> when I Because when you're living the legend, it's quite different than being outside looking at the legend. That's what it is. Because we're all crazy over there. My daughter was, too. She's really, really into it. So she said to me, she said, but I thought there wasn't any living uh, relatives from uh, from her. And I went, you do know this is a, a, um, a series, right? And, the, and then they have Delphine LaLaurie living, coming back from the dead after 250 years. I said, that didn't happen either. <laughs> She's just laughing at me because <laughs> they're all believing. Everybody's buying this. <laughs> anyway, it's – and the only reason why I am not watching it right now is because I got mad because uh, the witches started putting the other witches to burning, so burning them on the crosses or whatever, burning them. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, at that point. The witch would never do that to another witch, and you guys got way out of hand, so I stopped watching it. That's my opinion. 
No, they would they would kill them other ways. Well, it depends though, because they have there has been um accounts of um some witches who didn't want to be let on that they were witches, so they would give their own someone someone else up. Um, especially someone that has uh, crossed them or maybe their rival, and they would give them up and actually punish them in the way that, you know, uh, witches would be punished because they wanted to alleviate any kind of suspicion amongst themselves. But, you know, and then again, it's kind of a, it's, a little bit crazy, but it's the kind of like having the last laugh. I'm a witch. I'm burning you like a witch. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, <laughs> you yeah, know, and that's you, the, you've got to have a really... Just, <laughs> yeah, Jessica Lang in the series is the one doing it. So yeah, she is kind of having the last laugh. She's awesome. So anyway, so you, know, you got to watch it. So I guess I'll start watching it again. I was mad. So well, you know, that's what, ha- that's what actually happened with, well, no, okay, let me rephrase that. That's okay. similar to what happened to the first husband. Um, you know, she married, well, everybody married young back then. But um, she married um, She married Jack Perry, and um, he was a free man of color. And this is when Marie had not yet been established, fully established as a really powerful, powerful person. She was, I don't want to say journey level, but, you know, there's always a bigger fish and you have to get rid of that fish first. Well, one of the, uh, for lack of a better term, matrons in that particular group, well, she felt that she was the queen of voodoo. So what she did was she found out that Marie was telling everybody that, oh, now I'm going to get rid of her, or I'm better than she is, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we've heard this story many of times with, you know, Athena and Medusa, and, you know, I mean, yes, it goes way back. And she thought, well, all right then. You know, I can't really take away your powers. I can't do anything like that. But I'm going to take away something you really think you're prideful of. So she took away the husband. Wow. That's how he died. That's why. But ironically. Ironic, yeah. It has actually fueled her to do exactly what she thought that she was going to do to her. So instead of preventing it, she she created a catalyst to her own denouement. So it's, you know, you kind of have to be really, really careful with who you exact your so-called justice on. And, you know, that's that's actually very true with both, I guess you'd say, voodooism and witchcraft. You know, it says uh, do no harm. And she, in her own pridefulness, thought that, you know, she was going to maintain this status, this high status. And uh, her own pride led her to a level of insanity where she was, she just created her own 
her own road to death. And, you know, that's what happens when you want to um, fully control mm-hmm. Alua. But, you know, and that that is, I think that is why um, Marie ended up being a, a, a true um, power in that city. Because, once again, it's not about control, it's about negotiation. And anyone who's yeah, because, ever been married, you know that. You don't want to control your partner. You want to be able to negotiate. Yeah, because there was a lot of that going on because people uh, had different lovers and uh, mm. different lovers of another color, and they had mm-hmm. to negotiate things all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it was very tricky back in the day. Oh, you slippery know? slope. <laughs> very slippery slope, so... You know, what I've read is that um, she actually even had another lover, quite a woman, but um, that she lived with until he, he passed away in, like, 1835. But his name was Christophe Dominic Dumini, uh Gal Pion. Do you know who that is? Well, yes, that, they that would be my great-great-grandfather. Okay. <laughs> yeah, figure it out little by little as I go. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyway, so they had a bunch of kids, too. They had, like, 15 kids, and then including, now we're getting closer, uh, Marie, the second. Right? It's a strange line, isn't it? It's like, wait a minute. It is a so very strange line. Really, is it that one? Yeah, you got to think about, you know, what what's going on here, but it's... Um, it's uh, very interesting and very possible because she's gathering power, which means wealth at the same time. You yes. Know? And, uh, well, she's also gaining family status. And we yeah. all have heard in, through Jane Austen that your true wealth is in your family. That's true. And she knew. She knew that, and she banked, she banked on it. Mm-hmm. And with that gentleman, um, Christoph actually came through Haiti during that time. Um, Haiti was a very culturally rich place. Um, it served a lot of um, Africans who, after being either freed or escaped from their plantation, they went through Haiti to go to Paris. Yeah, where you know they they where you know slavery was abolished. There's nothing like that, so they would go through Haiti. Well, he comes through Haiti, but the but the other way, he actually comes into the states. So he was already free, but he came here to the states, and they met, and he became yeah he became her second husband, and yes, the father of many many children, many children. So but through him, extended. she gained yes, many and a, a a huge, vast wealth of family, money, uh, status, and of course, then um, just being a free person of color, it said a lot. But without the generational foundation as other, I guess you'd say, white colonists or people then would have had, 
she's nothing. And she knew that. She had to make a family foundation that would last. Yes, and it really has. You know, because in many ways she lives on and the spirit is still powerful. I mean, if they're still, you know, making um, movies and storylines about her and, you know, I mean, her children, it's, it's just really quite amazing. Have you thought of mm-hmm. writing a book about, about your experiences and your family line? You know, I I haven't really given much, much thought about it. I mean, I took a, a folklore class in um, in college, and I actually wrote about it then. But it was, apart from that, I kind of wanted to separate myself. And I think it's because... Um, Partly, you know, you're you as a modern person now. You don't live in that same era as she, you know, as she did. So, you know, things aren't exactly the same, and therefore the need for that exact type of lore or to embody that type of lore seems important for you. But the longer I stayed here in Los Angeles. I, you know, you realize that you can't really escape that. It's part of you. Yeah, that's that's true. You can't. Um, and then, when do you have any kids? No. You have children. You have children? No. Okay, so no when, when you okay when you if you if you decide to have kids and everything else, and you don't tell them everything because my mom's good for. I don't. I think it's because I'm trying to figure out my mother. Like why? that she kept so many secrets from us. Mm. And uh, many, uh, her parents, she's first generation here from Greece, so we're Greek on that side. And we're from mm. uh, Nova Scotia on the other side, so we've got an odd mix going on, Scottish people with Greek people. But anyway, um, she really never learned to speak Greek, or you know, she really wanted to shut that part of her off when, when to me that was our culture is our asset. You know, and I totally felt totally different about that. But now I'm, I'm second generation. My mom's first, and now I'm second. So, you know, things a lot of gets lost in the generation, especially if our parents aren't telling us, you mm-hmm. know, who we came from. Because she made up a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Mm. She didn't have to because I really wanted to know the real truth, which is more interesting to me. But I, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, we all want to fit in, I guess, to a little perfect world, but... Actually, you know, it's not as interesting. The real stuff lays in stuff like this. This is like your rich, look at your rich heritage and culture. Oh, my God. Just think about it. I guess there are people who just aren't, they aren't um, either ready or they aren't interested in embracing it. You know who they are, where they where they really came from, and um, I mean, aren't we all? Haven't we all fallen prey to kind of rewriting our own selves at some point or another? You know, yeah, we're, we're the we're the author of our own personalities or our own narrative script at some point. Yeah, I believe even if it's to a small degree. I've crashed and burned many times, so I believe in do over. That's for sure. You know, and. <laughs> That's kind of what I do for a living is help people start over again. 
you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's it's a good thing. It's a good thing what you're saying. But I think that also, though, our our past, our where we come from is like our greatest asset. And I always thought, no, i got to hide this, i got to hide that. But now the chickens are coming home to roost because I need this information, like let's mm. say even health information. You know, I, I we need it now. And uh, it's really important that we have, like, wh- what happened to who so we know what's our, in our uh, health history and stuff like that. But people are still withholding this information, you know. I just, I, just, I don't know. I think it's better to be open. I do. Yeah, I, I think it's better to be open. I mean, because you never know. Well, on one side, there's health reasons, you know. Did yeah. someone have this in the family? Is this, you know, hereditary? But then there's also the the the, the very long and drawn out uh, argument of nature versus nurture. And gee, you know, your grandmother had a decision that she made that changed her life, and here you are in your time, and you're at the same crossroad. And yeah. if you didn't know the story of that crossroad your mother came, your grandmother came to, then you come to find out that your mother went through that same crossroad. You're like, okay, yeah. well, how do I stop this crossroad? That's it. That's what I'm talking about, exactly. That's why it's better that we tell. I mean, we don't have to blab everything to our kids, but, you know, I think that, you know, because all my kids know everything, but I'm just saying sometimes... Uh, family are hiding it, and my family is in which the okay. It's like okay, it might be protecting one person, but the give and take is pretty bad when you think about what you've lost. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like we came out here in '65. So what I did, I was born in Boston, but we well, lived in upstate New York. That's where all the Greek relatives are, and mm-hmm. uh, um, what I lost was all my. You know, you must. How many? How many cousins do you have? If I have, okay, there was nine. Oh my God! If I came from nine on one side, nine on the other, and they all had like five kids, I have a zillion cousins. You must have a trillion cousins. Yeah, it becomes countless. Well, you know, I know, I, I know a lot of the first cousins. By the time it gets to the second cousins, it's kind of like. Yeah, okay, your battalion can stay over there. That's right. There's just so many. And then, you know, I know my third cousins because of Facebook, you know, or I wouldn't be in contact Um, with them. Because you know nobody's writing letters anymore. But now, you know, I I am in contact with my third cousins, and I can see pictures and keep up with them all. You know, that's thanks to Facebook, or else I wouldn't have that. You know, but Mm. I do have, uh, you know, the, the first cousins... I think we lost our first one, you know, and that's the very oldest one, like the firstborn. Oh, wow. So, yeah, because we're getting a little older, but we didn't lose one until, like, uh, I think it was last year we lost the first one. So, you know, this is going to happen, and then, you know, because the World War mm-hmm. II people are rapidly leaving, and they're leaving yes. all that history, and they're taking it with them, you know. And, you know, I yeah. want to learn as much as possible. So I found out through a cousin on my dad's side, uh, you know, but he sent me a bunch of pictures, uh, pictures of my father at two years old I've never seen in my whole life that are a treasure to me. And he looks just wow. like my great-grandson. 
Wow. You know what I mean? So it's just, yeah. a, it's just a trip. So uh, I think that, I don't know, I think this this richness in culture is just really, uh, okay, wait a minute. I have somebody I have somebody in chat saying, uh, can they ask a psychic question? When will, are you psychic? Yes and no. Okay. So this person wants to know, when will my divorce be final? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what I want to know too, Jules. When is my divorce going to be final? I've been married forever. The divorce has lasted 100 years. When? Okay, we know we've got to stick to the the person here. So that's a question for you. It's, It's kind of random, but. You want to? You want to answer? It is very random. I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna answer this the best way I know how, okay. and because I have not tapped into that kind mm-hmm. of energy in a very long time. Yeah. Okay. And I know this sounds like a very snarky answer, but it's going to be over when everything has come into play. Yep. I'm going to take that for me, too. It'll be over when it's over. You know, and that means and everything... Yeah, go ahead. Go. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I was ahead. thinking in your, in your mind, like we have to really think of it like this, is that when all the, the pieces have fallen or whatever is going to happen, you know, of course, that'll be the answer. Then it'll be over. You know, for some reason, it's yeah. not over yet. Who knows why? You know, well, more yeah. dust. And even, even when I was actually tapped into that kind of thing, you know, when I would go through something, you know, I would say, oh, I wonder if I could figure out when I'm going to be out of this. But that's not exactly why you're having the experience that you're having. You're having that experience so you can learn something. And instead of rushing a certain experience, use all of that time that it is occurring in and figure out that either one or two or three things that you need to learn either about yourself, about the person, about your surroundings, because there's always, always a lesson that is included in there. And it may be a hard lesson. Mm. But I've noticed never to say, oh, God, when is this? Okay, all right, well, I'll say it, you know, kind of like a generic, oh, God, when is this going to be over? But I don't try to predict when it will be over. I don't try to over-predict, like, what hand I'm going to, you know, pull or, you know, kind of like, you know, like what cards I'm going to show. It is what it is while it's there. But then it changes. And then it'll even mm-hmm. change even more when your own perspective begins to change. Yeah. And then you then you can ride through it. You know, I'd love to say seven months. Seven months. But the truth is something can be thrown. There's always a wild card. Always remember poker. There is a wild card that will linger and linger 
and linger and linger. And then all of a sudden, ping, it's thrown in. And yeah. Then huh. So instead of derailing yourself, you know, wondering, you know, oh, God, it's going to be over at this point, and then a wild card comes in. You're like, okay, well, guess what? I'm going to continue to ready myself for that moment when it is. But be open enough to realize when it is. That's that's always the problem. Because some people, they stay so long in their, oh, God, oh, God, that they don't realize that, wait a minute, that crap ended like, two, three months ago, and we're still stuck on woe is me. Mm-hmm. And believe me, it is easy to get stuck on woe is me. Sure is. But... And then you look so stupid when you're stuck on woe is me because, you know, you're the <laughs> you're the odd, broken-down wheel, you know, something in the back of the car rather than be, you know, just be your gorgeous self and whiz along and, you know, and, and don't, like, thump along like a flat tire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just imagine that poor person that's so sad and being in the corner, you know, the fifth wheel of everything, and, you know, you don't you don't have to be that. I think exactly. what I hear you saying is embrace your life, learn the lesson, and it's going to be a painful one because this, mm-hmm. you know, the financial, the romance is just, you know, this is what separates the boys from the men. Actually, that's what I think the phrase is because... This is when you prove uh, who you really are, if you could just withstand this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know, that could go go for anybody, yeah. It's it's just... Yeah. Uh, I know this is a harsh thing, but you know what? Do you have the balls to go through with it? And that's, exactly. that's pretty much it. And then there's another thing, is that we made a choice along the lines to sit with the ball mm-hmm. rolling. You know, we have to acknowledge that, well, you know, um, this is not for the questioner. It's for me. I'm telling, talking to myself now. That, you know, what did I do? What choice did I make to set this particular ball rolling? You know, mm. you can usually trace it back to, mm-hmm. you know, when okay. it started. You know, so so what if it started 30 years ago and you just kept going? <laughs> you knew you made a mistake, but you just, you know, might as well throw all your chips in and, Hang with your bad mistake, but you know what? It's never too late to change your mind. That's what I think. Right. That's just right. start all over again. You know, that's what really makes us human is that we we tend to make these mistakes. We tend to cling onto the past or what we wish it was like. You know, but it's not like that. It's time, you know, it's time to move on. So that means letting go. Let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Now, you know, everybody's singing that song. I just had to, you know. It was like, and and they were kids there. They were kids there. They wanted to hear Let It Go. They did. And it was really, now we're talking, we're back at karaoke now. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it did sound good with that mic. (laughs) The mic made everything sound better. we got to do that again. Yeah, you know, I... We've got a that woman was my coworker. Oh, she is. That, 
that woman is my coworker, so I have to find out when her husband is going to do this again. Yeah, I, I know I missed yeah. one in November, but I think pretty much everybody was like going around being sick and stuff in November, so I was like, oh. yeah. so yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm not, I'm not getting out. <laughs> but well, let's do it's it like again. I know he does uh, it often. Yeah, so let's do it again. But you know, he really does have to get more town, more Motown stuff. Yeah, I know, because everybody, everybody kind of wanted the pretty much the same thing, except for that one girl who asked for, uh, let's see, she asked for some Aerosmith, and she also asked for some like, uh, oh God, oh Led Zeppelin. Somebody asked for some Led Zeppelin. Oh I'm like, God. really? I wouldn't have paid you for some Led Zeppelin. She's she's a young African American girl, but you know, I guess you know it's true what they say. You don't You're judge a book by its cover. Because you know, I love Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I would never in three million years go up to a karaoke person and ask for Led Zeppelin. I mean, come on. That's as bad as Foreigner. And I'm sick of that Foreigner. I don't know. They had some good songs. Oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm thinking about the... Come on. No, I'm thinking about Air Supply. That's who I'm thinking about. <laughs> Oh yeah, air supply. That's different. Or yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> we could have done a lot of '80s stuff, but you know. Yeah. On. You know, I think the other stuff's easier. It's easier, you know, to do the so Motown and the. It's easier, more comfortable range. But you can you can sing better than I can. It seems like you have a, more control. But, oh, you just you know you needed some lemon tea before you did that. That's what you I needed. I really did. I, I was tired, and I just couldn't do it. Get in there. I just only was able to sing a couple times for real, so I could like to sing. But well, you know, I'll anyway. be honest with you. When I went there, my coworker dragged me there because she said, "Oh, well, come see my husband." Blah 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 blah. She's like, "Oh, you can see the fat trends and blah 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 blah." And I'm like, okay, okay. She's like, oh, get free food. And I'm like, okay, all right, all right. That that gives me a little up and up. Well, I get there and I get the yeah. free food. And then, you know, we get there and we sit down and we start doing karaoke. And I'm like, well, crap, I'm having fun. And it seemed like I hadn't had that kind of fun in so long. So I yeah. just surrendered myself. And I didn't care what anybody thought. You know, I just went up and got my seventh cup of beer. and. <laughs> <laughs> For everybody listening, I don't drink. I was not drinking beer. Uh, my kids are listening. <laughs> I don't. I don't drink. I didn't do it. Well, I, I was. I'm not ashamed to say it. I was acting a fool with Marlo. <laughs> 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 oh, but because you know what it was? It was that silly, uh, goofy fun that you just have when you're with your sister or something. You know what I mean? You just yeah. It was. So we think we found our kinship out there in that big lawn. But anyway, so now, so you have had, now you have done some acting and modeling. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that part of your life or, and if you have anything that's coming up that's interesting? Like, what are you doing? Well, yeah. the most I've acted was in New Orleans, and it's going to be, you know, I, uh, did do some um, work in the interview with the vampire. Um, I was in a lot of theater. Most of it was in, through my um, college, and then I did some on stage. But, you know, I, I, 
I love doing it, and there was nothing like having those lights shine in your face, and you can't really see anybody in the audience. And every performance is like a brand-new performance. That's what I love about theater so much. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like if – and if you mess up, no one really, really cares because you could just – if you're really good and you're just like on the ball that night – you could just play it off, and people will be like, oh, that was part of the play. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just keep going, because the show must go on. Yeah, exactly. It it really does, because that time keeps going, and they'll actually look at you with uh, tapping their clock and say, hey, you guys are going over time. Mm-hmm. No, but I it's don't just, do... But it's mm-hmm. exciting. It is exciting. exciting. I did makeup for it's theater thrilling. when I started out. It's, it's, it's thrilling oh. just to even be there to do the makeup, you know, to oh, be yeah. part of the, the mix. You know, it's just fun. Yeah, well, you know, as, I don't know if you watch that TV show. Now, I don't watch it, but I love seeing the commercials. But it's like there's this TV show called Face Off. Yes. Where, yeah, and there, um, there's this team working on these different, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, fantastical makeup and whoever can come up with the most fantastical and the best themed or something like that. And we're talking about like crazy looking monsters, like uh, elves or I don't know, crazy things like octopus head things or I mean, I just crazy stuff. And yeah. if you could, it's like, I couldn't imagine like having to do that really fast. Now, I had to learn how to do my own makeup a lot in theater because once, one, when you're in like school theater, you may not have it in your budget to to have a makeup artist. Plus, on top of that, you know, you've got all these girls in here and they're like, and you don't have a lot of mirror space. So you either have to learn how to, put on your makeup very cramped in a very kind of almost in a like a straight jacket style yeah you'll have to learn how to prioritize what can you do in the mirror what can you do outside of the mirror so it's, it's a very time management uh very good time management lesson and um, prioritization lesson and i noticed that the wilder I got with my makeup or I guess the wilder the imagination got in just actually trying to be that person and just say, okay, well, I just left, you know, I just left myself at the door. When I walk in this room, I'm so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Everything just comes right out. And all of a sudden you just realize that you're just, your hands are moving like this person would even when you're just putting on makeup. It's almost, yes. it's almost it's I would say it's a it's a paranormal experience because you are transferring you are transferring your energy into creating this person who to some may just live in black and white on a page but to you you've been living with this person and their experiences that they've become real to you yeah and I don't see why that wouldn't qualify as paranormal, nor would it be so strange to believe how 
some actors just get so caught up in their performances because once you're there, you don't know exactly how you're going to come down. Yeah. Because you can get to a point where you're so entranced by that person that you're playing. They just take over. It's no longer you. you. You've just been possessed by that person. That person is so real right now. You're just taking a back seat. And I think it comes off across the screen, too, because some, you know, we have that those good uh, characterizations. I mean, it's enthralling, really, to see that, that craft and uh, the genius of it all. You know, some people have had a hard time shaking it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And uh, But I think, Sam, uh, I bring it up, because, but Brad Pitt is an excellent actor. You know what I mean? He has taken some of those roles and immersed himself in, like, Legends of Fall. Look at that role. That's one of my absolutely favorite movies. I know. I was picking up on that for some reason. But anyway, it's uh, beautiful. He was not only beautiful in Legends of Fall, but they really uh, did him injustice. I think they, they really cut out a lot of his stuff that he was doing in that movie. But what he But what he had was just so beautiful. I don't know. Just uh... well, I thought it was a very good uh, cast. It was a very good casting because all of those people, um, and since I've seen the movie about 50 million times now, yeah. I've actually read the novel, and I gave it a very close reading, and I realized, oh, my God, the feeling that you get when you're reading a novel is very hard to actually have that equal what you see on the big screen. And I have to say that the same feeling I got when reading the novel is pretty very similar to what I saw in the movie because above anything, I've always recommended that film to anyone who wanted a perfect example of character growth and characterization because these people stand for something and they represent that something very well and to the T, I might add. Oh, wow. I know. He's real cute. (laughs) Oh, those are his golden years. I'm he was, those were his golden years, that's for sure. He's still handsome, too, but, you know, he's, he's spoken for. Then I don't remember anything. Uh, well, you know, he they, looks they a little, ooh, he looks a little, you know, what do you call it? Uh, Uh-oh. I'm not going to say rugged. He looks a little, you know, haggard right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay, and, and know, if he's listening. To, we have to living, but... Okay, if he is perchance listening, uh, what now? What are you going to say? I'm going to say that yes, 1994 was a very good year for you. But <laughs> I was, I was very enamored the minute I saw Cool World, which was what 1992. Oh my uh, god, that was, that, that was so... that's a cult. <laughs> Yeah. I love, okay, so you would pick that movie because I really love that that crazy movie. I love his hair in the movie, and I love the part of that earlobe because the earlobe happens to be my favorite part of the body. Of the oh, <laughs> <laughs> no way! 
I said that out loud. Now everybody's <laughs> going to know that I have a thing for earlobes. <laughs> that is my favorite part. And so when they have the close-up of Brad Pitt's earlobe, you know which part I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so my that, God. I haven't <laughs> seen that in so long. I think I'm going to watch that tonight. <laughs> I know, because that's a good movie. It really is. And his hair is just out of, out of line. I don't know. And how he could play that part, and he's so young. I don't know. He's a, he's one of the, he's probably going to be, when he gets older, one of the greats. I think uh, he has more movies to come, you know, in him. And, of course, yeah. uh, you know. I hope so, else? because, you know, he's, 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 to have been that young in 92 and still give that kind of, that kind of performance of uh, depth, you know, it's it's very rare, and it's not always genuine in certain people. You know, it's hard to be genuine right. and be and be that young. I, I, I don't know what it is. Think of, okay, think of uh, you know, a river runs runs through it. That's another one. Oh, I love that one too. I know. So him and him and that. Now we're talking about Brad Pitt, actually. But him, like in that movie, uh, River Runs Through It, uh, that was, you know, a very complicated uh, character role. You know, it was. And he was doing many different mm-hmm. sides. And you know he was doomed, you know. He's one of them doomed, yeah. beautiful folks that, you know, I don't know. But he's doing good. He's hard. He's really he's changing diapers now, and he's really tired. You know, he's trying to bring a living in it. and <laughs> I'm covering up for Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> He's just tired. He's just tired, but but I keep going because you know we 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 need to see you. So anyway, so then, so what would be uh, some of your favorite actors or actresses of all times? Oh God. Okay. Then we have. Well, first off, there's Marlon Brando. Yeah. Okay, um, one of my favorite films and directors would be, uh, you know, Citizen Kane and oh, yeah. uh, Orson Welles. But I mean, you know, sure. you, you can't you can't beat Citizen Kane. But oddly enough, I have found the Indian Orson Welles who made the Indian Citizen Kane, and um, his name was Guru Dutt. He is passed away. Um, he passed away very young. I think he committed suicide. And um, the name of his movie was called Piyasa. That's P-Y-A-A-S-A. And it is the Hindi word for thirst. And uh, it was, I mean, we're talking about large scope cinema. We're talking about, I mean, amazing depth. And, oh, you can't, if you're not crying, in this movie, you know, I'm going to have to look for a pulse. Because yeah, it sounds wonderful. It, it was so amazing. I just cried and cried and cried, and I found myself crying so much that I just couldn't wait to, like, watch his other movies. And then I find out that there's a trifecta. There's his famous trifecta of films, which started with Piazza, then it was uh, his second, the next one, which is Chodavi Kachanda, which is the um, the Half Moon. And um, 
the other one was which was more of an autobiographical um statement what happened between him and an actress and his fall from grace which is uh, kagaz kepu and it means paper flowers yes and the the middle movie the chodavika chan that one oh my god this is how good of a storyteller he is it just sounds beautiful. Just uh, this. Uh, then where can you? Where are we finding uh, these movies? I think you can buy anything on the internet. You can go through Amazon or anything else. But well, where yeah. do you know if they're available now? Well, you know, I um, I shop in Little India, um, yeah. in um, in Artesia and Cerritos, um, off of uh, Pioneer Avenue, and uh, there are several DVD. Um, shops there, and um, I used to uh, borrow them from another coworker, and uh, she got me started in these movies, and then I started buying them online, and then when that store closed down, oh, I was so upset. Then I found uh, a few stores in Little India that I just I just loved to pieces because they had the movies that I wanted, and they also had like the old movies, and sometimes they'll have like nice little sales, and you buy two and get one or blah blah blah, and you know the people are just real nice and they'll ask like oh you like this movie, and then they'll show you another movie, so you you it's like a constant learning experience because. I wouldn't have actually watched one of the most famous Indian movies, which is Diwali Durani Alajayenge, otherwise known as DDLJ, if I had not seen the director's second film, and that was actually the third film I watched ever. And I just fell in love with the one film, and I began to watch the, um, you know, the commentaries that they have at the end. And I saw some of the interviews with some of the actors, and one of the actors mentioned, oh, you know, I had to be involved in this film because I did not know how he would top DDLJ. So I'm like, oh, oh what's this? What's this DDLJ? So I go back to work, and I talk to my coworker. I said, I said, dude, what is this DDLJ? So that started this whole mess, and I fell in love with the actor in the movie. Oh, my God, this dude is so handsome, and he dances so well, and he's just so good. His name is Charlotte Khan. Is he Khan, a, and, oh, is he a short guy. or long hair? I'm trying to think of what this guy looks like. Well, you know, in some of the movies when he's playing like some sort of, some sort of rascal, I know when he was playing in the, um, like the mobster in Dawn, he had long hair. But okay. um, he really yeah. wears his hair very, very sh- not very short, but well groomed short, like a nice crew cut. Yeah, yeah, because I think I know what you're talking about. Oh my god, I love that guy, and he's just so awesome. And I could actually go on and on and like um, describing some of my favorite Indian films. And yeah. for a while, that was all I watched because I. Because I had come from a background very similar to yeah. that culture, you know, family first, you honor your family, and, you know, your culture is your life, that 
you know, I felt like a, a very uh, large resonance with their themes of family and social nature and social commentaries in their films that I'm like, oh, yeah, or, oh, okay. I mean, for the first, what, for the first two or three films, you know, I didn't understand what they were saying, and, you know, I had to use the um, subtitles. But, you know, past the third film, you know, I began to pick up what they were saying and learn some of their language and realize that, oh, man, you know, we're not really that different. That's right. You know, and it's and, all, uh, go ahead. No, and the language is, well, the, well, the language, I was going to say, uh, has traveled. I, I love how uh, art and language and music and uh, now they have, uh, what do they call it, Bollywood. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like now, oh, yeah. it's, it's, you may have been watching it, and now I think everybody else caught on. You know, because now everybody's watching Bollywood stuff and producers and uh, the dancing and the the joy and the, you know, just fit. I've been watching, I, I do watch, uh, you know, subtitle uh, movies. You know, I've always either uh, French or Indian or I've done that all my life, you know. And uh, because I want to watch a movie that's good no matter what language it is, it's in. And I mm-hmm. think that's our chance to actually experience another culture. And that's exciting, you know. So we going wow, we don't we have are at the end of the show now. And um I wanna thank you so much for being on. It's been so much fun and fascinating getting to know you and we gotta start getting out there to karaoke and find out where they are when we start traveling around with them as a backup crew. And yeah. <laughs> you know, and I wanna and then uh in American Horror Story, uh, there's actually uh, uh, there's a scene, and this is a scene. Uh, do you like CV Nicks? Yes. Yeah, so she's in, yes. actually in there, yes. so that's why you got to start watching. She's actually in this episode, and I think it's episode oh, wow. uh, season 310. And then but there's a quote that's uh, attributed to your great-great-great-grandmother, and she's, and she's saying, I'm over uh, 300 years old. Everyone... I've done ever men, done followed me after the Grim Reaper, some willingly, others kicking and scratching. I taught myself long ago not to waste tears for the dead. Wow. Wow. I know. So I thought that was cool. Anyway, so it's some powerful stuff. And in that, Stevie Nicks is actually singing, and she's in that scene, so... Uh, I just want to let you know that. And so I want to add, tell you again, thank you so much for being on. I mean, it's been an honor. And it's, it's delightful, you know, how uh, right now we're actually acting out that beautiful uh, synchronicity, that how God puts people together, you know, and that we're talking and mm-hmm. that it's just uh, so strange, isn't it? Yeah, but it's that's how life works. It's a I'm continuous river of everything happening. And you have to either go with it, go against it, kind of, you know, dock at the bay for a little while, stay for a little while, and then get back out there. But eventually, yeah, you do have to get back out there and just ride the river until it ends. That's exciting, too. So what's your next adventure, Miss? 
Um, hopefully I'm going to get out to more karaoke. Um, well, I'm definitely going to have to check out this American Horror Story, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm definitely going to have to, you know, consider doing either more theater or, you know, actually start writing down um, some of these tales and some of these um Oh, please do. It's timely. Yeah, do it now. Start and, writing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Said the correct word. It is very timely because tomorrow get I don't it, know what's going to happen. Right. So get on it because uh, it's well worth it because uh, that's how we leave behind our legacy that we have that written word to pass on to others and it be fascinating. And you know what I mean? Especially if you have pictures and artwork to put in it too. That would be lovely. So. I wish you all the best, and uh, I really wish you, you know, the year has just started, and I, I have a feeling there's going to be a very much a happy and prosperous year ahead, and I wish you the best of everything, my dear. Well, you too. Thanks for having me on the show, Sean. You're very welcome. Anytime. And take care. Start working on that book. Oh, okay. I will. <laughs> all right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Wow, it's uh, you know it's been such a pleasure to uh, speaking with Bessie and Marlo, talking about everything under the sun. It's just uh, it's been a remarkable evening, really. That um, you know, and historical. And I look forward to her uh, book when it comes out because I firmly believe that she should be writing a book. Anyway, so you know, I'm gonna try to make a couple of announcements again and, and tell you again that next week our guest is Marty Rosenblatt. He's a professional remote viewer, and he works for the military, and he's got his master's, uh, and he's really into the physics of it all and actually uh, how we can uh, predict the future through remote viewing. We can actually see the future. So I'm really looking forward to that next Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And, of course, you know, I'm always doing my Sacred Sunday thing, and it's my little, little personal gig I do Sunday mornings here. 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time at the same station, and we just do our little Bible study. So anyway, I would just like, again, if you want to reach, uh, get Marilyn's Salus' Creation, Love's Blessing, beautiful little scented mist that uh, has been a blessing to me, and I want to thank you very much, uh, Marilyn. You can reach it at info at lovesblessing.com or P.O. Box 1075, Ojai, California, 93024. And also remember that the Serial Meeting is going to be this Sunday at the Burbank location. And it has a, a bigger menu, and it's it's great. And I want to wish everybody a wonderful evening. You've been wonderful listeners. And thank everybody in chat. And God bless you all for a wonderful year ahead. And uh, God bless. Take care. Good night.